Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, well, my friends, how are you doing? Welcome, welcome to PMP 2024 Live. It's always a pleasure to be with you, those of you who are on the journey to getting certified to being a PMP. And for those of you who are already certified, I'd like to say a massive congrats to you. Really excited to be able to meet with you once again. So don't be a stranger. Let me know where you're calling from or where you're listening to me from. And for those of you that may have any questions, now's a good time to begin putting the questions in. But the purpose for our meeting today is to once again realign your journey towards PMP exam success. Okay. I know lots of you have plans to get certified in 2024, but it's important that you be focused on the right direction. All right. Because this PMP exam, when you look at it, it's full of content. It has so much information in it. So you need to be focused, my friend. You need to be laser focused on what exactly you're doing at every step of the way. Now, the easiest way is this. Number one, understand Agile. Please understand Agile. I know there are lots of courses out there. They're very heavy in the predictive piece, but they're not heavy enough in the agile piece. And therefore, when people get on the exam, they don't understand the questions. Let me be perfectly clear about the questions, how the questions are posed. The questions are going to ask you, you are a project manager. It will always tell you who you are. <laughs> You're a project manager in a project. You're doing this, that, or the other. You encounter a situation. What should you do next? But not just that. In the answers, you very well could have a blend of agile and predictive answers. And it doesn't mean you should choose agile all the time or predictive all the time. It depends on the way the answer is crafted. So my recommendation to you, number one, number one, number one, if you have this book called the Agile Practice Guide, read the book. If you've been for one of my courses and you have uh, Agile book, this one. If you have Agile Principle Run and Cut, please read the book. In fact, I mean, you can see the relative size, right? This is great. This goes deep. This brings you into the discussion like from a layman's perspective. So if I were you, you can get this on Amazon. 
um, you can get this everywhere books are sold, um, pretty much this as well. So I would recommend if you are weak in agile, beef up your agile understanding to the point where you know pretty much where the question is going, right? You got to know from an agile perspective, the values, the philosophies, the thought processes, you know, like just vanilla flavored values. Know your values really well, right? Just know through this work, we've come to value individuals on interactions over processes and tools, working product over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, responding to change over following a plan. And even though there's value in the items that we just kind of discredited, <laughs> we value the items on the other side more. That's what you need to be thinking. Then you go over to the principles, okay? So I'm gonna walk you through a little bit of Agile tonight just to make sure you're on that wavelength. When I'm done with Agile, I'm gonna tell you what next to do with Agile, and then I'm gonna go in to the predictive and then the hybrid. So this is probably gonna take about an hour we might be fortunate to get done quicker, but I want us to jump straight into the discussion because there's a lot for me to show you in this world of PMP. And this first piece is a slice from my course that I call Agile for Practitioners. My buddy Roy and I put this together and it has helped PMPs across the world ace their PMP exam. So I'm just gonna give you a quick little slice of Agile for Practitioners tonight. Let's jump straight into a few little introductions. So that's me, that's your buddy, Phil. And I got certified in 2005. And since I got certified, I've been helping people across the world come from an engineering background. I'm one of those who escaped, <laughs> who ran away and uh, went into a different world of project management, trained many organizations, as you can see on the screen, uh, many government entities and so on. But let's jump straight into why Agile? Why Agile? I like this quote from Leon Meganson. It says, it is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but the one most adaptable to change. It's all about adaptability, my friend, isn't it? You might recall on page 14 of the Agile Practice Guide, the Stacy model. Stacy model is a great representation of different spectrums where you can be either in an Agile setting or in a more simple predictive setting. The summary is you don't have to be agile in practice every single project. For example, you don't have to use Scrum on every single project. You don't have to use Kanban on every single project. Imagine a nuclear plant shut down. You can't do that saying, we're gonna do everything entirely agile, heaven forbid you got to be predictive in some instances, and that's why we have the simple zone where we are close to agreement in the requirements and close to certainty as far as the technicality. So we've already gotten that out of the way, right? There's that understanding. Now, taking it up a notch to help you with your philosophies, the idea is in the world of project management, which of these is most important every time? If I asked you to select three things, just three things that you feel are mega important every time, what would they be? <laughs> would you choose time? I'm curious. Why don't you chat into me and say, hey, Phil, this is this is what I think. This is this is what I think is most important on projects all the time. You want to try that? Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Tell me what do you think is hyper important 
three things if you're going to choose three out of these. Any ideas? Is it schedule? Is it budget? Is it scope? Is it customer needs? Is it quality requirements? Or is it team satisfaction? Which three? Chat into me. I'm waiting for you, my friends. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Come on, you're project managers, right? So you already know the answer to this, hopefully. <laughs> Which would you choose? Which would you choose? All right. Which would you choose? Everyone's trying to be all cute here. All right. Well, what I would choose is probably not the first one because delivering on schedule, if I don't deliver quality, is going to be frowned on. Won't you, don't you agree? If I delivered on schedule, but my customer is not happy, what good is that? Right? What about delivering on budget? You deliver on budget, but your customer is not happy. You got issues. You see where the train is going now? So in order to answer this question, you need to ask, what about the customer? That needs to be actually one of the first things, but it's not the first thing that you think about. You know the very first thing you should think about? The very first thing you should think about is the restaurant analogy. <laughs> Have you ever been to a restaurant and you made the mistake of being mean to the waiter and they're going back there and you're wondering, Oh, my goodness, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Who knows what they're going to do to my food? Has that thought ever crossed your mind? Well, it's the same thing when it comes to the world of project management. Because if you are not satisfying your team members, the likelihood is your customer may not be satisfied because the team may not put in their best. But if your team is satisfied, and I'm not talking salary now, I'm just talking being mindful and being empathetic and ensuring that the team has what they need. You know, the Agile Manifesto talks about giving the team the environment and support they need. When you do that, you're likely to have the team meeting quality requirements, delivering on budget, schedule, scope, and the customer is likely to be satisfied. All that good stuff. Okay, so the, the best answer to this, you know, I don't know if you noticed, this said all plan scope. So you don't have that mindset of, oh, we have to deliver everything. In the world of Agile, no, that's not our mindset. Our mindset is we got to deliver value. It doesn't have to be all the scope. So I was looking for you to choose the bottom three. That's what I was looking for, just the bottom three, customer, quality, and team. Now, moving on to the next part where we're going to go pretty quick, this is what I was talking about, right? The Agile Manifesto values, which I've already covered, and then the Agile Manifesto principles. I'll just summarize them. Number one, customer obsession. Number two, welcome changes, even late, for the customer's benefit. Number three, deliver working product frequently. We want this to be shorter than two months because things change rapidly. You want feedback. You want to put it back into production. You want customer engagement. If it's far beyond two weeks, your customer may be disengaged. Number four, business people and developers working together daily. 
Number five, building projects around motivated individuals. I mean, that's common sense. No one wants to build a project around a demotivated team, right? Number six, face-to-face -face conversation. Now, this is very debatable because today everyone's on Teams, everyone is on Zoom. So, you know, when it comes to efficient and effective, we've got to be careful in 2024. But for the sake of your exam, just go with number six as it's written. Number seven, working product, the primary measure of progress. In the world of Agile, we don't do all those percent completes and statuses, right, in this world. Agile processes promote sustainable development. I call number eight, don't kill the team. The don't kill the team principle. Number nine, continuous attention to technical excellence and good design enhances agility. Number 10, keep it simple, sir. Keep it simple, sister. Number 11, the best architectures, requirements, and designs emerge from self-organizing team. Just leave the team alone. Let them do their stuff. You hired adults. You hired experts. They'll get it done better than when they were meddled with. And number 12, at regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective. They tune and adjust their behavior accordingly. Doesn't always have to be the retrospective. This could be just a way of life, a day-to-day -day philosophy. And that's the Agile Manifesto. You do really need to know this well before you exam, okay? Now, let's go a step further. There is one more thing in the world of Agile that I like showing, and that is a difference between the predictive thinking which is encapsulated on the screen right here. You can see in the traditional world, scope is fixed. But in the world of Agile, what happens? We flip the triangle on its head and scope is now flexible, right? What is fixed is we have a fixed time box, that's schedule, and then we have a fixed budget, team size. So don't forget these core things about the world of Agile. Finally, before we get out of Agile, I just want to remind you, I want to remind you, because I know a lot of people fight this one, the most popular Agile framework is Scrum, okay? If you haven't read the Scrum Guide, you should. Go to scrumguides.org, download it, read it, right? Scrum is a lightweight, easy-to-understand model. It's based on three pillars of transparency, inspection, and adaptation. This is a sequence of activities. What happens? Number one, we have a product backlog, and it's a list of all the things our customers want. Then we have an event. It's called sprint planning. Sprint planning is where we meet to decide what we're going to get done in the sprint. As a result of that meeting, we get a sprint backlog. Once we get our sprint backlog, we then have our marching orders. We are already in the sprint, technically, once we start the sprint planning event. But the next event that happens is the daily scrum. The daily scrum is something that we do every 24 hours. Um, don't say, oh, we do a weekly daily scrum. No, that's not a daily scrum. It has to be daily. So the daily scrum is where the team meets. They meet as a sync up meeting. It is not a status meeting. Please don't choose that on the exam when they give you the trick question that says the daily scrum is a what? <laughs> don't choose status meeting. It's not a status meeting. It's a planning meeting. It's a sync up meeting. Uh, there's a difference. So it's not status. Don't think status. We could either answer the three questions and with a mature team, you don't need to pass the mic around. They know what to talk about, right? But some teams prefer to not answer the three questions. They prefer to walk the board or just do some other configuration, right? Some very mature teams, they may not even walk the board or answer the three questions. But for the sake of your exam, understand that the three questions is pretty staple and then the walking the board. It's talked about in the Agile Practice Guide, okay? 
Then the sprint, how long is a sprint? Four weeks or less in the world of Scrum. In the middle of the Scrum, a lot of teams these days, and I, I really want to call your attention to a very subtle fact regarding your exam. I'm going to have to go to that book again. And it's, it's a good book, actually. It's not a bad book. It's a, the Agile Practice Guide. So let's go to the Agile Practice Guide, okay? So looking at the Agile Practice Guide, I want to point out to you that there are a number of things the PMI accentuates on page 50 forward, okay? So you do need to read PMI's account because in the Scrum Guide, you don't have any talk about the event called backlog refinement. In, in fact... In the Scrum Guide, it's looked at as everyday life for the product owner. But in the Agile Practice Guide, it is called out specifically on page 52 in the Agile Practice Guide. And it just reads, in iteration-based Agile, the product owner often works with a team to prepare some stories for the upcoming iteration during one or more sessions in the middle of the iteration. Okay, So this account is two about two paragraphs but you don't find this in the Scrum Guide, you should pay attention to backlog refinement. You should pay attention to PMI's account of Agile, uh, PMI's account of all things that are on the exam, okay? So even though backlog refinement in this image, I've graded because it's optional, you should, as a PMP candidate, be aware that PMI has two full paragraphs. It says they are there is no consensus on how long the refinement should be. There's a continuum of just-in-time refinement for flow-based Agile. The team takes the next card off the to-do column and discusses it. And then it says many iteration-based Agile teams use the time-boxed one-hour discussion midway through a two-week iteration. And that's exactly what I'm depicting on the screen. This is midway through the iteration. The team takes some time out. They do the backlog refinement. They go through the whole... Um, idea behind the INVEST acronym. Now, th this is not a place for us to debate whether it is good or bad, because I have some of the agile zealots who hate the INVEST acronym. Um, <laughs> don't listen to them. What do I mean by the INVEST acronym? Independent, negotiable, valuable or vertical, estimable, small enough to fit within a sprint, and testable. You want to make sure that your backlog items are indeed ready. Okay, like I said, various schools of thought are against the INVEST acronym. But when we talk about the refinement, when we talk about the definition of ready, it is important you understand and have some sort of guardrail framework to help you. So this helps achieve definition of ready. Okay, if the story fails to meet one of these criteria, the team may want to reword it or even consider a rewrite. So this is the INVEST acronym. When we say a story is ready, it means ready for us to work on. And in your backlog refinement sessions, you want to work on getting your stories to a definition of ready. Okay. It's just that simple. When you get certified, you can, you know, join the debate about whether backlog refinement should be done with the invest acronym, whether definition of ready is good or bad. I'm not here for all that. Right. But just know for your exam, it's in the Agile Practice Guide. All right, moving on, we have the Sprint Review event, and this is where the customer, the could be the end user involved as well, the stakeholders, this is where there is a review of what was created, the increment, right? And just be aware that the Sprint Review event is not a gate 
before you can release value, right? You can release value all through the sprint. It doesn't have to be one time. And in fact, you could get to the end of a sprint and you may not have a featured enough item. So you may not actually release. That's why we call it a potentially shippable increment. Lastly, we have the sprint retrospective event. And in the sprint retrospective, you already know this, I'm sure. This is where the team reflects. They look at what they could have done differently, what went well, what didn't go so well. It could also be a great team bonding exercise. And it's generally closed off to the Scrum team. And when I say Scrum team, I'm talking about the product owner, the Scrum master, and the developers. Okay? So feel free to put any questions in there if you've got any questions for me, because I know for some of you, we have already gone through an extensive 35-hour course. You already know a lot of this stuff, but you might have forgotten some of it. For your exam, you've got to understand the roles really well. The product owner role, I highly advise you to dig into PMI's Agile Practice Guide and understand their perspective of what this role does. I also advise you to look into the Scrum Guide to get a better idea of the product owner's role. I call the product owner the chief value officer. Also understand what the Scrum Master does. A Scrum Master is a coach, not just a coach for the immediate team, but also a coach for the entire organization. This is someone who should be a champion in my mind for Agile and someone who should be making change on a grander scale. When you get into the nitty gritty of your exam, you do need to know the five events. So the sprint, understand that in the world of Scrum, it's four weeks or less. Understand what sprint planning is all about. As I said, one of the things you should do before coming into sprint planning is you should have done some backlog refinement so all your time isn't going on breaking down those huge monster epics or just realizing what exactly the customer was asking for all along. This is where the product owner needs to wear the hat of chief value officer, understand what should have come next. And when you get into sprint planning, it's generally going to go a lot smoother. The daily scrum, as far as this is concerned, the 15 minutes is pretty standard. It's non-negotiable for your exam. Just know that 15 minutes is a time box. When it comes to backlog refinement, like I said, we want our stories or our requests to be sprint ready. Again, in industry, there's the debate of, well, stories aren't needed in scrum. They're not in the scrum guide. Yes, but for your exam, understand what stories are. I have to say these things because the landscape of Agile is changing very rapidly. When it comes to the sprint review, it's showcasing working product to the stakeholders. It's important that we don't relegate it to just a mere demo, but we see this as a working meeting. We can use this meeting to discuss metrics, what was not done and why. Uh, delivery team demos the working product. Uh, the customers may even test it out, you know, physical products. We have a client of ours who had this physical autonomous vehicle and customers could get to actually test out such things in a demo. All right, and then the retrospective, like I said, it should be a safe space. You wanna understand what worked well, what didn't work well, and you could have some items that you take back to put into the product backlog for the next sprint so that you can improve on those items. But this is not mandatory. It used to be, but it's not mandatory anymore. Okay, a few quick memory joggers. A list of some of the long list of requirements, only those to be done in a sprint. Okay, I'm going to move very quickly. So these are just joggers for your memory, right? Since it says some, it is not talking about the all-encompassing product backlog. This is just talking about the sprint backlog. What about this one? The product backlog is prioritized and owned by whom? Okay, I've already given you the answer to this earlier on. So this is talking about the chief value officer, aka product owner. All right, how about this one? The first event of a sprint is what? 
Okay, if you were listening in the beginning, you would have gotten that it's the sprint planning event. All right, let's go to the next one. The average length of a sprint used in most firms. If you use the world of agile philosophies in your firm, you probably know the answer to this one. All right, so the best answer to this, my friends, is not the one month. You know, I said four weeks or less, but in industry, the sweet spot is two weeks. All right, let's move on to the next one. The end result of the sprint is known as what? What do you call the end result of the sprint? All right, so I've abbreviated it because I really want you to think. I really want you to be on your toes thinking about, okay, what are we talking about here? So here, we're actually talking about the increment. Now, you can eliminate one, but you're left with three. It's definitely not the Project Management Institute. So the best answer that I would have expected you to choose is potentially shippable increment PSI, majorly because it may not be featured enough, all right? So PSI is the answer to that one. Okay, PSI, okay. Next one, a daily scrum is what? What is a daily scrum? Is a daily scrum a planning meeting, a status meeting, a phase gate, or resolution meeting? Hey, Lawan. <laughs> Lawan, good to see you. Lawan is one of our PMP gurus. Uh, she's already certified. And Lawan's got some other certificates, haven't you, Lawan? So very nice to see you. Nice surprise. What are you working on now, now that you're a PMP? Tell me what you're working on. I'd love to know. All right, so the Daily Scrum, Lawan said it's A, and she's correct. It's a planning meeting. We don't want to think of it as a status meeting. That will be an immediate zero. <laughs> so don't do that. All right, next one. Priming the backlog and preparing it for the next sprint through discussions and reprioritization actions is what? Awesome. Lawan is on it. She is on it. She's, she hasn't forgotten it. Not Mr. B. <laughs> Thank you, Lawan. The, the best answer to that is indeed what you chose. The answer is backlog refinement. And backlog refinement, we talk about it as being not mandatory as far as an event, but in the Agile Practice Guide, we see it there front and center. All right. The potentially shippable increment should be shown to the customer in a demonstration. This is known as what? All right. So even though we call it a demonstration, it's not just that. But the best thing that we were looking for here is option C, sprint review. Now, again, just so you know, there's a lot of controversy in the in the world of Agile and Scrum, when you call the sprint planning or sprint review or sprint retrospective a ceremony, you may get a wrist slap from some of the zealots. I don't care. Whatever. It is what it is. A lot of people call it ceremonies. A lot of people call them, you know, other things. And, um, you know, that's, it is what it is. Okay, Lawan. Lawan says she's working on her PSM. Awesome, Lawan. I know that you've already taken a lot of Ken Schwaber's uh, PSM pretest, so just keep doing that. And honestly, his site is probably the best place to be to just keep taking them over and over again. 
uh, reading the Scrum Guide over and over again, and listen listen to our audio because we've got audio out there on our our channel, as you know. Uh, but well done, and try your best to uh, listen to the lessons learned that are out there. We got lessons learned uh, from the cap from the PSM from our friend Darian and Cindy, uh, who both got certified last year. So um, I would recommend listening to them. I am going to put a link in the chat right now so that you can go listen to that episode. You can go listen to that episode and get some wisdom from both of them. They both got certified less than a year ago for the, the PSM. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. The Scrum team should spend time in self-reflection and checking itself for optimization and improvements. This is known as what? Another very easy one. You're welcome, Luan. All right, another very easy one, very easy. Obviously, you know what we're talking about here. We're talking about the retrospective. Brilliant. All right, another thing that you should be aware of is just the terminology when we go through the product backlog. We have different terminologies. We have the product itself. We have the epics, features, stories, and tasks. And I just use a silly little mnemonic. I just say, Phil eats fries sometimes on Tuesdays. It's my mnemonic. You can use that to remember. And here's an example of how the backlog could be broken down, right? Epics, huge chunks of functionality. Features, a group user stories together for release. It's a sensible way of releasing stuff, uh, release-like stories. And then we have tasks, which are not in the product backlog, by the way. At best, these would be in your sprint backlog, but you have a lot of mature teams who don't even put that level of stuff into their backlogs. So at the end of the day, you would have a breakdown that looks something like this, right? You would have the product broken down into epics. Here's an example of PBIs for a website, and I will zoom in so you can see the intricacies here. So it, it looks very much like a work breakdown structure, but don't get it twisted. It's not a work breakdown structure. This is a product, right? product breakdown. It is not a work breakdown. Okay, so this is the general idea. Epics, feature stories. You can see we have the core website functionality broken down into the UI, and then that broken down progressively into more levels of detail until we get to a task level. Okay, and then here you can see the UX content and user experience broken down into smaller pieces as well. Those would be at the feature level, and these story level, ultimately the task level. And we don't want to make this a religious thing you do in the world of Agile. It's not. It's just logic on how you break down your backlog, right? So your product backlog, you have big boulders, big chunks. Here's the general idea. When you're working on your product backlog, it's like an iceberg, right? You got this big old iceberg at the bottom. You got to break the iceberg into smaller pieces. And those smaller pieces... That's what floats up to the top, and that's what gets done. If the product owner, of course, is thinking properly, <laughs> that's what should happen first. Okay, the next big difference that I want to point out is the difference between the definition of ready, which we talked about earlier. Go listen to it if you didn't. And then the definition of done. Definition of done is an agreed upon set of items that must be completed before an increment is considered complete. Do not mix this up with the 
acceptance criteria at the back of the card. The acceptance criteria, of course, could be one of the items that we are looking to be complete, looking to have met the requirements. But at the end of the day, the definition of done is not just one thing. It's a number of things. And it's on a case-by-case -case basis, depending on your industry and depending on your unique situation. But just remember that the definition of ready and the definition of done are different things. What drives agile is a concept of value delivery. So you want to make sure you're delivering value, 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 value to your client. Value should be the number one thing. Another thing that we joke about in our class is the concept of food, because we know people love food. But imagine if you went to a five-star restaurant and you wanted the dessert and someone said, no, you can't have the dessert. you got to eat the greens. Well, as an adult, you can appreciate that. But what if you were a kid? You wouldn't. In the same token, our customers, they have things that are near and dear to them, like dessert. And we say, give them the value they want first. Don't withhold the value from them uh, because they won't be happy if you withhold the value from them. If you gave them the value, then they understand you get them, right? You totally get them. So how do you order the backlog? There are different ways of ordering the backlog. But one of the philosophies is to understand the concept of doing the big, hairy, audacious things first, right? The high risk, but high value. So always think, what is high risk? What is there a high risk and a high value on in this project? If there's a probability that you won't get a high value item done, that could be bad. So what should you do? This is just basic project management common sense. Do the riskiest stuff first. And if you do the riskiest stuff first, there's a likelihood that you will at least get them done. If you don't do the risky stuff first and you do it last and then you don't get it done and the time box is over or the number of iterations you promised is over, that's no good. So we often say high risk, high value first, low risk, high value next, low risk, low value next. And then why do you even want to do those in the top left quadrant? Why do you want to do high risk, low value? It doesn't make sense. There's so much risk in it, low value, it could actually tank the entire project. All right. So we're not saying this is the only way to think, but we're saying start off by looking for the high value stuff and then look for the riskiest of the high value stuff. There are other instances where you could prioritize based on other items such as urgency, cost of delay, weighted shortest job first. There's so many things you could think about. So when we think about ordering the backlog, the job of the product owner is a rather interesting one because the product owner has to think so many things, revenue, demand, importance to end users, frequency of use, the risk of not having it, and so on and so forth. So as a product owner, your thinking always needs to be what is most important. Now, the product owner sometimes falls into the fire alarm trap, which is pandering to people who are shouting the loudest. That is not the way to do it. You want to use more sensible criteria like NPV, ROI, Moscow, and Cano, which are really just categorization techniques when you think about it. Weighted shortest job first could be another one, and the risk-adjusted backlog, the concept of the risk-adjusted backlog. So there's so many pieces that you need to master for your PMP exam, but ultimately, you're going to understand that Agile is front and center because I cannot tell you how many people have cried. My Agile was so huge on the exam. I was not able to answer the questions quickly enough. It took me such a long time to read them and things like that. So you've got to be ready. Scrum is definitely the big number one framework for the world of Agile for your exam. And then the number two framework that I would highly advise you to hone in on is Kanban. Just understanding how Kanban is structured, what it actually means when we say limit your whip and why we say limit your whip. 
understand what a board could look like when you have the whip limits up top there, understand what it means when we say the lead time, the cycle time, and things such as that, and understand this concept. Because while it may not be tested on the exam, it's good to have the agile philosophy of there's a cost for delaying delivering value to your customer. If you're not delivering value quickly enough, then your customer could tank, your customer could fall off the radar, your customer could go out of business. So we want you to have that mindset, okay? And last but not least, I'll just say have a mentality of the shuhari, right? Alistair Coburn brought this into the world of Agile from the world of Aikido, and it's just a great philosophy to understand you've got to go through a period of blind obedience. So I remember when the PMI Phoenix chapter brought the whole CSM bandwagon to our chapter, and you know I was one of the people who jumped on it. And our, our trainer was receiving a lot of consternation. Tom, Tom Meller, was receiving a lot of consternation from the, the, the PMPs because they felt, what is this? This doesn't make sense. Why should we do this? Don't criticize our project management and things such as that. But blind obedience is best. Honestly, if you're coming into a world of Agile, just leave all your predictive stuff at the door because I was in the world of predictive for eons. But I had to embrace, you know, as they say in the military, embrace the suck. I had to embrace what Agile was bringing, the change in mindset. And not until I embraced it and I went fully in did I fully get it. So the blind obedience stage is really important. After the blind obedience, you get to the hard stage, consciously moving away from the rules, detaching, breaking free. And when you have done this for a period, you now understand the why. And you are just on autopilot Agile, when you get to the restage, you're unconsciously finding an individual path to go beyond or transcend. So my friends, for your exam, this is the first piece that I wanted to introduce to you because Agile is big. It's really big. Now, if you haven't already realized, your exam is going to be based on people, process, and business, and people, process, business could cut across the world of Agile, or it could also cut across the world of predictive. Yes. And that is why the 12, I should not say the 12 principles, 12 principles are important. That's in PMBOK 7. So let me just get the 12 principles out of the way for a quick second. 12 principles. Let's talk about that. So for those of you that haven't read about the 12 principles, I want you to download a PMI PDF. I'm going to try to put that PDF in the comments below. So PMI 12 principles, I'm going to share a very, very helpful PDF because it could help you, like if your exam is tomorrow, you obviously aren't going to have time to read this book, even though it's not as big as the sixth edition, but it's still a significant effort. But maybe, just maybe, maybe you could go through the 12 principles in this PDF. So let me show you what is in this PDF. And this will be a very quick run through uh, because the philosophies are quite important. Okay, so let me share this with you. The philosophies in the 12 principles. Let's go very quick. So you can see the 12 principles over here, right? You can see stewardship, team, stakeholders, value, and so on. Let's start from stewardship. Going all the way back to stewardship. So this just says you've got to be a diligent, respectful, and caring steward. All of those things there are extracted from the Pembok 7th edition. And this is 
kind of like the most significant part of the book in my mind. So if you open up the Pembroke Guide 7th edition and you go to page 24, okay, I want to make it very clear, very clear. Okay, here, this is it, this is it. I know it looks uh, looks transparent, but this is it, Pembroke uh, 7th edition. So if you go to Pembroke Guide 7th edition and you go to page 24, it says, be a diligent, respectful, and caring steward. And that's what you see here, stewardship. Stewardship includes integrity, care, trustworthiness, and compliance. And the summary is this. Act responsibly to carry out activities with integrity, care, and trustworthiness while maintaining compliance. And that's it. Let's go to the second one. Number two, team. So if you follow me to the next one, page 28, it just says project teams are made of individuals who wield diverse skills. And the summary is create a collaborative project team environment. That's the summary. All right, next we go to stakeholders. And the principle about stakeholders is one of collaboration. It just says, effectively engage with stakeholders. Number four, value. I've already talked about value today and this just espouses that same idea. Focus on value. If it's not valuable, don't do it. Continually evaluate and adjust project alignment to business objectives and intended benefits and value. Systems thinking, always see the big picture. It says, recognize, evaluate, and respond to system interactions. That's that one. Going over to leadership. Leadership is all about being bold, taking those leadership decisions, making them, it says, demonstrate and adapt leadership behaviors to support individual and team needs. So here, I would say definitely know the Hersey Blanchard model, the five stages of team development, Things like McGregor's theory, Herzberg, Vroom, McClelland, all those, you should have an idea about those. But understand that leadership is all about influence. There's a difference between leadership and authority. You've got to know that, okay? Even in the power interest grid versus the influence impact grid, there's a difference between power, authority, and influence leadership, okay? You've got to remember that. So demonstrate leadership behaviors. Moving on to tailoring. Tailoring, it says, tailor based on context. The summary is you cannot throw the entire PMBOK guide or guides or process group or practice guide at every single project. All right, next one is quality. It says build quality into processes and deliverables. you got to think quality. It says maintain a focus on quality that produces deliverables that meet project objectives and align to the needs, uses, and acceptance requirements set forth by relevant stakeholders. Let's move on to complexity. Complexity, it says navigate complexity. The best way to navigate complexity is to understand the dimensions in it. The dimensions, human behavior, system behavior, uncertainty itself, and ambiguity, and technological innovation. There's a difference between these two. So let me go over these on page 51 very quick for you. Ambiguity is a state of being unclear. It says of not knowing what to expect or how to comprehend a situation. Then it says, uncertainty is a lack of understanding and awareness of issues, events, path to follow, or solutions. The summary is this. PMI is saying complexity is a characteristic of a project, and you as a project manager, you need to know how to manage it. How do you manage complexity? Let me take you back in time to the Stacy complexity model, remember? Now, how did we say we would work on complexity? We're going to break things down into smaller pieces do things in iteration sounds like agile, right? Because that's what we're talking about. All right, number 10, optimize risk responses. It says, 
continually evaluate exposure to risks, both opportunities and threats, to maximize positive impacts and minimize negative impacts to the project and its outcomes. Number 11, embrace adaptability and resiliency. It says build adaptability and resiliency into the organizations and the project team's approaches. It says most projects encounter challenges or obstacles at some stage. The combined attributes of adaptability and resiliency in the project team's approach to a project help the project accommodate impacts and thrive. Adaptability refers to the ability to respond to changing conditions. Resiliency consists of two components, the ability to absorb impacts and the ability to recover quickly from setback or failure. Last but not least, we have number 12, one of my favorites, and this says, enable change to achieve the envisioned future state. It says, prepare those impacted for the adoption and sustainment of new and different behaviors and processes required for the transition from the current state to the intended future state. Here's the deal, my friends. If you're ever going through change, just remember that people are different. Some people cannot absorb change very well, and others can. So you must approach it from a humanistic standpoint. You have to be empathetic. You have to understand the J-curve, the way the J-curve works. People are going to be in that valley of the J-curve, pondering and wondering, how does this impact my life? They're going to be down in the dumps. So what the PMI advocates quite a lot is sense-making sessions. Don't forget the people. All right. And that's pretty much it for PMBOK 7. For those of you who have been asking the question, Phil, does that mean I need to just read the entire PMBOK 7? I've told you. Listen to what I'm telling you. Read. I've, I've given you one PDF. Can I give you one more PDF from the PMI? Let me give you one more PDF from the PMI. I'm going to give you the domains PDF because I know some of you, you're still wondering, but what about the domains? I need to know the domains. Okay, I'll I'll show you the domains. You want domains? Uh, we'll, we'll go to domains tonight. I'll show you. So here we go. Here are the domains, okay? Just to ensure that your curiosity is satisfied, there are eight domains in the PMBOK Guide 7th edition. Now, stay with me because I know some of you are fixing to run away. Stay with me. Okay, I got to explain this. This is PMBOK 7. This is PMBOK 6. PMBOK 6 is a wildebeest. <laughs> it's huge, right? It has 756 pages. This one, on the other hand, has 300-something pages. However, when it comes to predictive project management, this does not do a good enough job, which is why the PMI have included in their library something called Process Groups of Practice Guide. And that took from the now out of published publication, 6th edition, and they put together process groups of practice guide to walk people through the knowledges and process groups. Because, should I just be honest? People ain't buying the domains. People are like, we've known the, the process groups and knowledges for the past two and a half decades. Why are you giving us, it reminds me of the Israelites, why are you giving, why are you giving us this stuff to eat? Why are you giving us... <laughs> Why are you giving us Pembuck 7 to eat? So, so let me show you the summary, okay? Let me show you the summary. Here is the domains, okay? I've put the domains in the chat. Now let's share the domains very quick. Now, I'm going to read for you from the Pembuck Guide 7th edition, and hopefully you will not ask me this ever again <laughs> because 
I, I feel it's not a very good use of our time, but I know some of you are curious. So let's go to page seven. And another thing about this book is it has two sets of pages. You have page one in the side where you have the principles, and then you have another page one where you have the domains. But let's talk about the domains. Listen carefully. It says, a project performance domain is a group of related activities. That's the difference. It did not say a group of processes. You get it? A group of related activities that are critical for the effective delivery of project outcomes. Project performance domains are interactive, interrelated, and interdependent areas of focus that work in unison to achieve desired project outcomes. There are eight project performance domains. Number one, stakeholders. Number two, team. Number three, development approach and life cycle. Number four, planning. Number five, project work. Number six, delivery. Number seven, measurement. And number eight, uncertainty. Let's go through them hyper quick. Stakeholders is all about your care for your stakeholders, understanding that you need to effectively interact with them. In other words, you need to manage the engagement. The team domain is all about caring for the team, team health, and team optimization. Development approach and life cycle is all about selecting the right development approach. Is it going to be agile? Is it going to be predictive? Is it going to be incremental? Is it going to be agile? And then going down into the smaller silos, is it going to be Scrum? Is it going to be Kanban? Is it going to be TDD? Is it going to be ATDD that we use here, right? And so on and so forth. Planning is all about planning the project. It's that simple. Project work, as it says here, addresses activities and functions associated with establishing project processes managing physical resources, and fostering a learning environment. Watch this. Project work is associated with establishing the processes and performing the work. Boom, performing the work. That's the direct and manage project work process and everything connected to it. So just think executing. The next one is delivery. This just makes sense. You create a product, service, result, feature, function. It needs to be delivered. And that's what you're doing in the delivery performance domain. It addresses activities and functions associated with delivering the scope and quality. You see those two? Scope management, quality management. I told you, you were not missing anything. That's what these domains are all about. The next one is measurement. Now, this one, I must say, is a worthwhile inclusion in the dialogue. Because a lot of times you have individuals who are measuring stuff and their measurements are probably not sensible. For example, a company my buddy Roy worked with, the, the company said to the testers, we're going to reward you if you find bugs. The more bugs you find, the more rewards you get. So these people aren't stupid. Of course, they had friends who were developers. So the developers started cranking out some soft bugs, not, not really malicious bad bugs, just soft, soft bugs that will get their buddies a reward. What a ridiculous metric to measure. So don't measure the wrong thing. That's what this is telling us. Measure sensibly. And also be aware of the vanity metrics phenom. Don't fall into the trap of vanity metrics. Actually, the PMI has a very good breakdown of why you should be very particular about metrics. It says on page 96, we have leading indicators and lagging indicators. So be aware of what you're measuring. Is it a leading indicator? predicting changes or trends, right? Leading. In other words, the metric is smart. The metric tells you what is about to happen before it does. Or we have lagging indicators. Now, lagging indicators, I'm not saying they're dumb, but they measure deliverables or events after the fact. Okay, so leading indicators, that's your magic right there. Lagging indicators, not bad. They're still helpful, but it's after the fact. 
And it says what to measure. You got all sorts of things on page 98, which is a good breakdown of what to measure. We go into the concept of baselines, business value, net promoter score, mood chart. I would highly advise at least understand some of the basic metrics in project management just in case they come up on your exam. So benefit cost ratio or cost benefit ratio, MPV, net promoter score, which is a measure of how happy your stakeholder is or willing to recommend uh, your products or services to others, mood chart, um, and what else? That's pretty much it. There's some very good stuff here. So if there's one of the domains that I am excited about, I think it's this one. This is definitely value to the uh, project management uh, narrative. On page 112, we have my favorite, the vanity metric, a measure that shows data but does not provide useful information for making decisions. Has someone ever told you to gather data and measure stuff that is just worthless? You know, for example, measuring page views of a website is not as useful as measuring the number of new viewers because you could have had one viewer going there a thousand times, if you get what I mean. So just that whole idea is what we talk about in the measurement domain. Last but not least, we have the uncertainty domain. And it just says projects exist in environments with varying degrees of uncertainty. In that vein, the project manager needs to have a plan, a mousetrap for how to measure the usual suspects. There are five of them. Uncertainty, a lack of understanding and awareness of issues. Ambiguity, a state of being unclear. Complexity, a characteristic of a program or project or its environment that is difficult to manage due to human behavior, system behavior and ambiguity volatility, and then risk. And honestly, that's it. That's it for your eight domains. We don't really have to go any further. It would be a waste of time. Now, if you have any questions, I would love to answer your questions. We're going to be hitting about an hour very soon. But before we jump off the call today, there's one more thing that will be in order. And what I want to do next is just talk about the world deeper world, deeper world, <laughs> the deeper world, the deeper world of project management by going into, you know, it's the grid, the grid, everyone's like, oh my goodness, not that again. This grid is very important, my friends. It's, it's, it's important for your project management journey. I know a lot of people are not very keen on it, but trust me, you need this. You really need this. You really need this uh, thing I'm about to show you. Um, and it's the five process groups and the 10 knowledge areas. We have to go through it tonight. I couldn't let you escape without it. So I would like for you to get a pen and a paper. It's going to be a worthwhile experience. It's going to be good. Let's work on this together. And as I go through it, I want you to ask any questions. Okay, if you have any questions, now would be a great time to ask them. So in the world of project management, according to the PMI, way back in time, there are five process groups of project management, and they're just five buckets. I just call them buckets of things that need to be done in order for us to get project work done. And when I say project work, I'm talking more about the work that the project manager and the team are going to do to manage the project. You see, there's a difference between doing the work versus managing the project. You hear the PMI talk about a product life cycle. That's all about doing the work. 
But then there's talk about a project management lifecycle, which is really code for the process groups. So if you're taking this exam, what is going to help it become easy for you? I heard this again from one of our latest PMPs. Shout out to Lily, who got certified about four days ago. She said the same thing. This will help your exam. Highly recommend that you watch this over and over again and you work with me. I am going to be typing in all of the process names and I'm going to be explaining them to you. All right. So why don't we get started with the first area of knowledge? Because we got, I prefer extra money in cash at the top, or I prefer eating mangoes chilled. And then we've got, I saw six chipmunks quietly roasting coffee, reading poetry stories. Or I saw six Cubans quietly rolling cigars, really puffing smoke. You choose whatever one you want. As long as you remember the 10 areas of knowledge, I'm good. Moving into each one, we have the very first, which is integration. I'm going to be making them a bright yellow as I go through. Hopefully, I remember to be uh, consistent with it. And in that way, you'll know which one we're on. Okay. So right now, we're going into integration. Let's make it a bright yellow. All right. So in integration, the very first thing that happens is the develop project charter process. And in develop project charter, you are creating a document that authorizes the project. You, the project manager, could be working on this, but you don't necessarily have to because if you've got a, a sponsor who is capable, they could create this by themselves. They don't need you to do it. But other times, they may ask you to do it. In fact, in a lot of companies, the project manager creates the charter, the sponsor signs off on it. So you have to understand that dynamic. All right. Next, going over to planning. The next thing you do in integration is you develop the project management plan. And this is where you put the big plan together because there's a lot of stuff that actually happens under the process that we're not seeing yet. There's stuff that happens under integration and all of that rolls up, technically speaking, into integration at the end. We'll talk about that progressively. Next, going into executing, we have the direct and manage project work process. This is where the work is being done and the major output is a deliverable. So think about it. Everything that you're doing in project management, whether you're making a chicken sandwich or whether you're working on uh, software or code or whatever, you will have the time when you need to uh, do the work and direct and manage project work is where the project manager is helping by directing and managing what needs to be done. Okay. From direct to manage project work, in addition to deliverables, we get something called the issue log. And we also get work performance data, which is just like you as a project manager, you are observing what is happening on the project. You know, you're observing how many widgets have defects. You might be observing uh, which employees are unable to come in for work. We call that work performance data. The other thing that happens here in executing and integration is manage project knowledge. Okay, and then moving over to monitoring and controlling, we have a process called monitor and control project work. And this is where we are creating reports. We call them work performance reports. 
and the reports help understand the status of the project and so on. And the other thing that happens here is called perform integrated change control. And this is where you are reviewing the change requests that come in. The change control board is also involved. So you would review the change request as it comes in. If the change request is not in formal writing, you are encouraged to put it in formal writing and then you review it, you do an impact analysis, and then you send that information to the change control board and they can review the change request and decide whether it's gonna be done or not. And then in closing, we have the close project or phase process close project or phase. And this is where you close out either a phase in the project or the project as a whole. Now, what I want to do right now is just comb through them in a little bit more depth. All right. We get a project charter from here, develop project charter over here. From develop project management plan, we get our project management plan. From direct to manage project work, we get our deliverables. From Manage Project Knowledge, this is where we do our lessons learned. We get a lessons learned register. From Monitor and Control Project Work, we get our work performance reports. From Perform Integrated Change Control, we get our approved change requests. Remember, we could also say the change log is technically an output from here. But remember, your exam is not based on all these inputs, outputs, and stuff. They just help you understand the flow. It is important for you to understand the flow, my friends. And then we have close project or phase. So closing out the project or a phase in the project. This is where we have a final product service or result transition as an output. We also have a final report as an output. Okay. Now, these are not just random words that I made up. <laughs> these are indeed things in the PMBOK Guide 6 edition and things that are helpful um, for you to know as you traverse the landscape of project management as you prepare for your exam. Okay. All right. I hope that makes sense. Do send in any questions if you have questions. So that's the first knowledge area. Now, everything that happens under integration, you got to look at it like this. Look at it like this. All this stuff under rolls up. All the stuff under rolls up, technically speaking. Now here, we I know we only have one process here, but technically speaking, what you have in identifying the stakeholders, you want to make sure the stakeholders buy into the charter. All the stuff you have here in planning is going to add up to your project management plan. All the stuff you do in executing is pretty much governed talking about governance from a high, from an integrative standpoint. Everything you do in monitoring and controlling is governed up here because all your check-in to see if you're going according to plan in all the knowledge areas is governed at a higher level in monitoring control project work. And closed project or phase, it just has that, okay? And that's the general high-level idea. Now we're going to be going crazily quick, so I'm going to put the responsibility in your court to tell me to slow down or stop because I'm just going to go pedal to metal from here. Okay. All right. So draw along, follow along. It will be a good exercise. Going into planning, we have plan scope management as a process where we decide how to manage scope. Then we have collect requirements, 
where we are collecting all the requirements, functional requirements, business requirements, and so on. Then we have the define scope process where we create the project scope statement, which has all the inclusions, exclusions, detailed deliverable description, and so on. Then we have create WBS, which is where we create the work breakdown structure. Then we jump across to the monitoring and controlling process group. And here we have two things. We have validate scope. This is where your customer checks the product service or result. And then we have control scope. And this is where you as a great project manager, you're controlling the scope, making sure people aren't adding extras. Okay, good. Let's move into schedule management. In schedule management, the first thing that we have here is plan schedule management. Plan schedule management is where you create a plan for how to develop and manage the schedule. Then we have define activities where we list out the activities that need to be done. Sequence activities where we put the activities in order of occurrence and estimate activity durations where we decide how long each activity will take. And then we have developed schedule, which takes everything into account. And voila, we have our final schedule, right? We also from here have our schedule baseline. Just to make sure you understand the difference, there's a difference between having a project schedule, which is a live and breathing schedule that you update just sensibly as a project manager versus the schedule baseline, which is a particular version of the schedule etched in stone. So there is a difference between the schedule baseline and the project schedule, and it helps to know that. Last but not least, on the other end of the spectrum, we have control schedule, and this is where we ensure that our schedule is going according to plan, okay? Be sure to ask any questions. If you have questions, I will be moving a lot quicker from here. Going into scope, we have three things we do. One, oh, three things in planning and one in, in the monitoring and controlling section. Uh, here we plan cost management, and that's where we plan how to manage cost. Then we estimate costs. We estimate the cost for each line item, each task. Then we have determined budget. And this is where we roll all the task costs to a final total amount. And then lastly here, we have control costs. And this is where earned value lives. Now, when I say where earned value lives, this is where we use the earned value metrics. The earned value metrics could help us see trends where we're likely to end up or previous performance across schedule and cost and even scope. Just remember for your exam, you need to remember SPI, CPI, CV, and SV. You need to remember that they all start with EV. They all start with earned value, right? That's an easy way of remembering. If it's a variance, what do you do? You subtract. If it's an index, what do you do? You divide. So that's another quick tip. And then if it's schedule, then if it's schedule performance index, plan value is the other thing. If it's schedule variance, plan value is the other variable. If it's cost-related, actual cost is the other variable for cost performance index and cost variance. Okay, so let's zoom into that for the sake of those who may have forgotten. The big thing for your exam is really knowing what 
does SPI mean if it's 0.4? Or what does CPI mean if it's 0.4? Anything less than one is bad for the indices, right? Greater than one means you're doing better than projected. Anything less than one is bad. Equal to zero means you're equal to one, I beg your pardon, for the indices means you're right on target. For the variances, if it's zero, it means you're on target. So if you have a zero variance, that's good. If you have a negative variance, that's bad. If it's greater than zero, like if you have even a $5 cost variance or schedule variance, uh, that means you are actually uh, better than planned. Okay? So those could help you in your recall for the exam. I'm going to put them over here. I'm going to make them a little bit smaller because they're not really a process. It's just something to remember. All right, let's go over to quality. So in quality, we have plan, quality management. And we have manage quality, where we are actually carrying out our quality audits, manage quality. And last but not least, we have control quality. And in control quality, this is where we are actually checking the product service or result, okay? For those of you just coming, we're doing an end-to-end -end coverage. It's a very rapid means uh, for you to catch up on a PMP. Once this live stream is over, it is likely you will not see the video because the video will be pulled down. You won't see this video once it's over. So if you know, you, you're not able to, um, to, to stay, unfortunately, you will not see this video afterwards. All right. Let's come out. Let's go back in. All right. There we have it. So we've got plan quality management, manage quality, and control quality. Uh, moving on to the next thing we're talking about, we're going to talk about resources. Moving on to resources, we have six things here. We have plan resource management. We have estimate activity, resources, and those two happen in planning. In executing, as far as resources concerned, we have acquire resources, we have develop team, and then we have manage team. And what are the differences? In develop team, this is where our team goes for team building, they get trained, they get educated in project affairs if they need to, or technical things. And then in manage team, this is where we give the team feedback. And last but not least here, we have control resources. All right? If there are any questions whatsoever about what you get out of the processes, uh, please ask. Um, I know I'm, I'm going pretty quick because I have so many videos about this stuff on the channel that I'm expecting that you might have maybe even already gone through some of those. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Next one is communications. And in the communications knowledge area, you're going to do three things. You're going to plan communications management. You are going to manage communications. In other words, you're going to communicate. This is where you're going to distribute information to people. This is where you could have reporting done in meetings. And last but not least, we have monitor communications. Okay. Again, I want to encourage you, if you haven't mastered this, this is important for your PMP exam. I know some people feel, oh, this is old stuff. Trust me when I tell you, I cannot count how many people I've heard from that this helped them put the big map together. 
So I, I really want to stress, if you haven't mastered this, please spend some time in doing so, okay? All right. Let's make these a little bit smaller because we got a really big one coming up. We got risk. Risk is a significant beast. It's very, very big. So let's go on to risk. And risk starts off, as usual, with plan risk management. This is where we create a plan for how to manage risk. Then we identify the risks. Then we perform a qualitative risk analysis. Think about it like a high, medium, low, or on a scale, numbers that generally don't equate to the same thing from project to project, but they help us in the prioritization of the uh, risks as far as which risks are we going to go after, which ones are we going to leave alone, so on and so forth. All right, moving on, we have perform quantitative risk analysis. And this is where we analyze the risks from a numeric standpoint that is also dollar-related or something quantitative like weeks. You could analyze from a schedule perspective how many weeks, how many days, and that's an absolute. That is not qualitative or how much money is going to be the result of this risk as far as contingencies are concerned. This is where you're getting really into some hard core amounts. The next thing that happens is called plan risk responses. And then we jump across to executing and then we implement those responses. Okay, and last but not least, we have monitor risks. Now, when it comes to plan risk responses, again, I'm going to take some time out to talk about the A-team. Not Mr. T and the A-team, but avoid, transfer, escalate, accept, and mitigate. So, these four, uh, these five are your approaches for negative risk or threats. We also have another five for positive risk or opportunities. And I'm just going to put them here sneakily. <laughs> I know it shouldn't be there, but I'm going to put them there because I want to share them with you. I call it E A S E E, easy, right? Easy. It just stands for exploit, accept share, escalate, and enhance. You've got to know these really well. Look on the channel because I have videos. Avoid. Let me just blow this up a little bit so that you can uh, see it a little clearer. Okay, let's blow that up. Okay, so avoid. And feel free to take screenshots. That's fine if you want to take screenshots, right? So avoid is avoiding the risk altogether 100%. The risk doesn't happen or it doesn't impact at all. Transfer is transferring to a third party. Uh, escalating is elevating the risk to either your boss because it's beyond your power or your authority. Um, or you could escalate because it's affecting other parts of the organization. Accept is doing nothing. We have passive and active accept. And mitigate is reducing the probability or impact. 
on the side of the easy, which really should be here, but I'm just doing, making this quick. Uh, the easy is for the positive risk. So you could exploit a risk. That's 100%. That positive risk is going to happen, right? That's what we mean by exploit. 100% will happen. Accept is doing nothing. We have passive and active accept again. Sharing, again, same strategy as I said for transfer. You involve a third party. It could be a special purpose company. It could be a sister organization uh, that you share the positive risk with. Escalate, again, escalating it to a higher power because it's beyond your project or because it's beyond your power. And then enhance is really just increasing the probability or the impact of the positive risk. All right, so that's risk, my friends. We are going pretty quick here, and we are going to be done before you know it. Let me go back and share the last pieces of information because we have just two more knowledge areas. Aren't you amazed at how quick that has gone? You know, in some courses, the entire one week is spent on <laughs> is spent on that. They spent five days taking you through what I'm showing you in, in minutes. That's why you need to come to my course. <laughs> come to my course. I'll do a lot of time optimization for you. You want to join my course, go to hpmexam.com or go to tinyurl.com forward slash elite PMP um, or tinyurl.com forward slash elite cap M. I'm going to put those links in the chat because I know some of you are like, how do I join your program, Phil? Well, you just need to go to Elite PMP. You can start studying with me tonight, like right away. You can start studying with me right now um, because if you sign up there, you'll be able to join immediately. It's on Udemy and um, cost 24 hours a day. You just decide when you want to join. And if you're getting ready for the Cap M exam and you're, you're wondering how to how to get certified, you can join me on the Elite Cap M program as well. I'm going to put that in the in the link. Do that. Put that in the chat. So uh, go to Elite Cap M if you're keen on studying with me for the Cap M exam. And then if you want to be on my full blown uh, training for project managers. Not only to get them PMP certified, but also to elevate them to the next level after PMP. In other words, showing you how to succeed. Um, you can just jump into my program, uh, which is called hpmexam.com PMP exam immersion. Let me put that in the chat as well for those of you who are curious. Because I know some of you are some of you are feeling the training right now. You're like, my goodness, I just spent two thousand dollars. <laughs> I spent 10 times more. I got 10 times less in a different program. If that's you, I want you to smash that like button. Tell me, tell me. If that's you, I want you to hit like. I want you to subscribe to the channel. And I want you, I actually need you to share with your friends. Okay? That's what I need you to do. So if you want to study with me, do that. And if you're like, Phil, I ain't got a dime. I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to get by. Hey, hey, hey. That used to be me. That used to be me back in 05. I didn't have a dime. And that's why I've got you covered. I've got you covered. I've got a free 30-hour program right here on YouTube. For those of you who are on YouTube, those of you who are on the other platforms, thank you for joining me from the other platforms. I see you. I see all of you across the platforms. So if if that's you and you're like, Phil, I ain't got a dime, I, you know, I got you covered. I'm going to put a link in the chat. 
And this is to my 30 hour free program, free program, totally free. All you need to do is go on to pmp.pmradio.org. And I've got over 30 hours of free video, free, totally free. No catch, no catch. The only thing I ask though, you know, if, if you really want to support the channel, because I know some of you, some of you have, you gained so much from the channel. Just, just go get the book, PMP Exam Immersion, right? The PMP Exam Immersion book, I'm going to show you tonight how to put everything together in context. And if you wanted to get this book, like download the book right away, um, you can. This book has the deep secrets to your PMP success because it puts everything together. It puts agile, predictive, hybrid. It weaves it all together. It's called PMP Exam Immersion, the book. So I know I have the course, but this is the book. And if you get the book on the link that I just shared, you'll actually be able to download a workbook. And the workbook has a hundred of these crazy, what should a project manager do next kind of questions. So whatever the case, whether you, you know, you can afford it or not, I got you covered. For those of you who say, Phil, I'm just, you know, trying to survive here. I used, that used to be me. So I got you covered. Don't worry. Just go to pm.pmradio.org um, and you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to be extremely delighted when you see what I have in store for you guys and girls. Okay. So let's jump into the final piece of our journey today, which is going over the last two. I'm going to make the others very small, just so that everything can fit on the screen. Okay. Some of these processes, they occupy a lot of space. I might be able to make a few of them bigger, like qualities, actually not that much. And if you haven't gone through this rites of passage, well, I'm glad you're going through it right now. This is a, is a brilliant opportunity for you to see how the entire table comes together. All right. So procurement, what do we do in procurement? Number one, we plan procurement management. Plan procurement management is where we decide, are we going to buy or not? Are we going to make or are we going to buy? If you decide to buy, then we go through the procurement process, the philosophies, right? And we do the RFPs or the RFQs or the RFI, request for proposal RFP, request for quote RFQ, request for, in, in, request for information RFI, IFN, invitation for negotiation. I'm talking so quick because I want to get done. I want to get done. It's, it's a weekend. It's a weekend. You see the labor of love. Your buddy Phil is, is here for you to help you because once I hit the road again, it's going to be hard for me to do these. And I hit the road very shortly. All right. Conduct procurements is where you take a look at all of the proposals that were sent in and you select one or two, you award the contract and then control procurements. This is where you are checking to ensure that the vendor, the seller actually did what they promised. Um, you want to make sure that they are delivering. You want to make sure that they are on time. You want to make sure, as, as one of my students said, hey, my client just showed up and we do interior for airplanes and they just showed up to do an audit. That's control procurement. You want to make sure that the, the seller is really upholding the quality. 
And the funny thing is they weren't because, you know, some of these folks, they bring in, they want to show off to their friend like, oh, you need to take a look at this aircraft that we're refurbishing. So unfortunately on that day, one of them brought his buddies into <laughs> to the workplace. Bad move because a customer showed up. <laughs> All right. Let's finish this off. All right. Last but not least, we have stakeholder. So over here, we have identify stakeholders. This is the only one that you have in the initiating process group. And then we have plan, stakeholder, engagement. And then we have, after you've planned how to engage a stakeholder, then we have manage stakeholder engagement. This is where you're actually engaging your stakeholder, speaking with them, communicating with them, working with them. And last but not least, we have monitor stakeholder engagement. Okay. And my friends, that's it. I just showed you. I just showed you. Please give me a round of applause. Give me a round of applause, please, please, please. I, I think I deserve it because... I've done what a lot of instructors won't do. I took you through the entire Agile curriculum. I've taken you through PMBOK 7 principles, domains, and boom, now I took you through PMBOK 6. PMBOK 6. Do you know how much time that would have taken to go through these books alone? Do you know what that would have taken? We went through this. We went through this. And we went through this. <laughs> all in one and a half hours. Please give me a round of applause. I need some likes. Like, like, please, please help me. Help me. I know some people think, why is he asking for likes? I need your likes. I can't do this alone. I'm trying to help the world get PMP certified. You need to remember where I'm coming from. On my PMP exam, question 20. Do you know what the time was, question 20? I was one hour in to my exam on question 20. Think about it. If this exam has 180 questions and this guy's only done 20, how many hours does he need to finish the exam? The wise people would say eight more hours. You're correct. It was a disaster. I had only gotten to question 20, one hour in. And this is a very good example of how not to take the exam. Don't take the exam saying, oh, I've got to answer this. I've got to, I'm going to use all the time I can to answer this one question. No, don't do that. Don't do that. I was spending three minutes a question. How foolish. Instead of me to go with my gut and just keep mowing them down, just keep going. Even if you feel they're not right, you don't have the luxury of time. I've had a lot of students who say, Phil, I was shocked. I ran out of time. Normally, before I got into the exam, I was kidding all of my mock exams. Of course, because the stakes are higher. Your brain is going to be working differently. You're going to be working differently. So don't try that stuff that you do at home on the real exam. Okay, which is why I say roll up your sleeves and go to a test center, smell the coffee. It'll kick in. It'll kick in. Just drink the coffee, but smell the coffee because you realize the stakes are high. Long story short, after one hour, I started writing my eulogy of the PM slain in the battle of PMP. The PMP who tried his best, uh, the PMP aspirant, the PMP wannabe who tried his best. Phil tried his best, but alas... He was slain at the Battle of PMP. <laughs> Why was he slain? He didn't have his weaponry right, right? So I was crafting my eulogy until a conspiracy theorist gremlin pounced on my shoulder. And I'm grateful for that conspiracy theorist gremlin. And the gremlin said, 
The PMI is looking at you from behind the scenes and they can see that you got all the questions wrong and they're giving you more of those questions. You got risk wrong and they're giving you more risk. You got schedule wrong, they're giving you more. Why don't you go to the back of the exam? It's, it was a crazy thought, but this is what got me out of the exam alive. I jumped all the way to the back of the exam. Back in those days, you could move backwards and forwards between all the questions. And back in my day, there were actually 200 questions. So I went all the way to the back and I started doing the questions from the back, from the back, from the back. Truth be told, hey, use this. <laughs> use this as the fire escape. For me, it was the fire escape. I started backwards and I realized the questions were easier from 200, 190, 180, 170, 160, 150, 140, and just kept doing the exam backwards and it was easy. Then I got to a pocket of difficult questions. It's like these question writers are like fiends from the pit. They know where to grab you and they just boom, dollop a boatload of hard questions. And it's like quicksand. Don't be moved by that. You can jump over the quicksand, or you could just do C, D, E, C, 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 whatever the options are, but don't get stuck in the quicksand. I didn't get stuck in the quicksand. Kept mowing them down. I think I had a pocket of difficult ones in 120, kept going back around 70-something, difficult ones around 50. I didn't care. I was just mowing them down, doing my best, and then I got back to question 20. And guess what the time was? 3.55. Pretty much I had five minutes left. And the question is, am I going to start changing stuff or am I just going to end the exam? Took a deep breath. Boom, end the exam. And then the screen goes blank. You've been selected for a survey. We would like to find out, did you enjoy your exam experience? Was it clean? Did you like the staff members? Oh, my goodness. Now I have to go all the way through this ridiculous survey saying, I liked it. I didn't like it. But remember, the conspiracy theorist Gremlin is saying, fail. you got to say you like it because if you said you don't, you're going to fail. <laughs> so what did I do? Yes, I liked it. It was good. It was clean, even though it was dingy and dim lit. Everything was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. Whew. Then press the end button and the screen goes blank for like an eternity. Congrats. You've passed the exam. <sighs> Talk about being chased by... You know, you watch those video, those TikTok videos of crazy bear out of somewhere in Colorado, those bears. I that was me. I felt like I had run from the crazy beast. And that's why I do what I do. Because when I came out of the exam, I promised that if I come out of the exam alive, as, as I'm writing this crazy exam called the PMP exam, I'm promising if I come out of this thing in one piece. <laughs> Two promises. Number one, I promise I'll never curse the PMI. <laughs> I won't curse them as I always have been. And number two, I promise I'll tell everyone anything in the world that moves. I'll tell them this exam, crazy, crazy exam, crazy exam. That's why I say take no prisoners. Do everything you can before you find yourself in front of that computer monitor. <laughs> do everything you can. All right. Final thing we're going to talk about today, my friends. I'm going to show you the PMI's secret sauce for the PMP exam. They have a secret sauce for the exam, and that secret sauce is encapsulated in a document. And the document is simply called PMP Exam Content Outline. I'm going to put that in the link so that you can download it and read it. 
I'm showing you where all the treasure is buried tonight, my friends. You know, like I said, I'm hitting the road again. I don't know when next I'm going to be able to do this. It's going to be a while. Here we go. Here we go. That is the PMP exam content outline. And um, I'm going to go over the outline with you. But I'm not going to do it the usual way. I'm going to do it differently. I am going to do it very quickly by going through my special roadmap. It's a roadmap I created for the PMP. And it cuts off, I would say, about 10 hours. <laughs> it cuts off 10 hours from the curriculum because it's very rapid and effective. Are you ready? Let's let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. Here we go. Here we go. For those of you that have been on since we started, thank you very much. I hope you're finding value from it. Your exam is going to have people. 42% of the exam is people. 50% is process. 8% is business. And then you can slice that across 50% agile and hybrid, 50% predictive. Okay? So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to tell you agile is a beast a big old beast as big as predictive. Here's the breakdown one more time. See that? So pay close attention to the process domain, but don't forget you could slice these into 21, 21 for people, 21 agile and hybrid, 21 predictive. For process, 25 agile and hybrid, 25 predictive. For business, 4% agile and hybrid, 4% predictive. That's the general idea, okay? Let's go into the people domain very quickly, and I'll just try to wrap it all up, okay? Number one, I have changed the order from what is in the outline that I sent you. In the outline, it starts off with manage conflict, and then it goes into lead a team and so on. But I'm changing it because I want you to get the flow. The flow doesn't make sense in the outline. I want you to get more of the flow from a time perspective. So number one, what I want you to think about first is building a team. You build a team and then you begin to define the team ground rules, do's and don'ts and acceptable behavior. And then you begin to lead a team. You know, my mentor, John Maxwell, he says a true measure of leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. You're going to lead the team to success. You're going to help the team understand what to do on the project. Leadership is all about example as well. The Hersey Blanchard model is also a very good one to talk about here. If you haven't heard about the Hersey Blanchard model, this is it. The thesis of the Hersey Blanchard model is you need to be a situational leader. You can either be in a directing mode, depending on the individual. This is where you give low support and more direction or in a coaching role, or in a supporting role, giving more support than direction, and in a delegating role where you just know the keys to the kingdom are safe with this dude, this girl, because they've proven themselves time and time again. But you don't always stay in one quadrant. You move around depending on the individual and the circumstance. With someone, you could have a delegating approach, but if you change the environment, you may need to have a more directing approach with that same individual. And that's the general idea. The other thing that you really need to know for your exam is the five stages of team development, the forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. Uh, this will help you um, on the questions. 
Um, there's also subtle lingo use. So when it comes to forming, the team members are independent. When it comes to performing, the team members are interdependent. So you got to understand PMI's lingo when it comes to these. I would say it's worth checking um, how they discuss the five stages of team development or Tuckman's ladder, Bruce Tuckman's ladder. Also, as part of your journey, know the 10 tenets of servant leadership, listening, empathy, healing, awareness, persuasion, conceptualization, foresight, stewardship, commitment to growth of people and building community. You already know the PMI isn't going to do this in parrot fashion, but you do need to be very comfortable with the narrative. Also for the people domain, you need to understand the Thomas Kilman conflict mode instrument. There's no image of this in the PMBOK guides, any publications from PMI, but you need to realize that you could be somewhere in the middle as far as your approach to conflict, or you could be very forceful to get your way, or you could be in a collaborative problem-solve mode, which means you're assertive about your needs and the other person's needs. You could be in the avoid or withdraw mode, or you could be in the accommodate or smooth mode. The accommodate or smooth means you're more focused on the person's needs than yours. Avoid or withdraw means you don't care about yours or the other person's needs. You just want to escape. And that's okay. But avoid or withdraw is not the end. You could be back. You could be back with some additional backup. It depends, okay? So there they are again, the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument, PMBOK 6, page 349. If you're in PMBOK 7, it's talked about differently. It's kind of wonky because it kind of went off something else instead of sticking to the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument itself. This is what I would recommend, though, for your exam prep, okay? So going back, we've talked about 6, 12, and 2. The other things you need to know for your exam, definitely understand how you as a leader should build shared understanding. Then we go to task five, ensuring team members and stakeholders are adequately trained, which is a no-brainer. Number 13, mentoring relevant stakeholders, whether you're the scrum master or the project manager, you should mentor. Um, empower team members and stakeholders. Manage conflict. This is where the whole conflict dialogue now comes in. Number 11, engage and support virtual teams. Understand the concept of the fishbowl window. Number nine, collaborating with stakeholders. Number seven, addressing and removing impediments, obstacles, and blockers. Number three, supporting team performance through the application of emotional intelligence. Um, number 14, I beg your pardon, promoting team performance through the application of EI. And number eight, negotiating project agreements. Now, three and 14 are very close. Supporting team performance and promoting team performance they're very similar. Supporting the team means you're there for them. You big them up in a meeting. You don't throw them under the bus. Promoting team performance through the application of EI is different. This means you are emotionally intelligent. Emotional intelligence means you're able to control your emotions, bridle your emotions, and you're also able to influence the emotions of others. And that's the people domain very succinctly, okay? As easy as ABC. But don't forget, in the document I sent you, Every one of these is broken down into smaller enablers. I would recommend going through the PDF that I put in the chat. That will help get you to excellence in this. Okay? Let's move on to the process domain. Before we get to the process domain, I really want to accentuate a couple of tools. Okay? The stakeholder power interest grid is big. Make sure you understand that before your exam. You could have the power interest grid, the influence impact grid, and other allotropes of it. And understand the planned stakeholder engagement process. 
This is where we have our stakeholder engagement assessment matrix. I call it the SEAM. This is where you have your current state of the stakeholder, and that is your desired state. They're currently unaware. You want them to be supportive. The question for your team then becomes, how do I get Bob from a from a, an unaware stakeholder to supportive? What are the actions that we need, right? And those are the actions that you got to discuss. So this is a great conversation piece for the real world as well, okay? In the task of collaborating with stakeholders, in which process do you build trust and gain support from stakeholders? What do you think? A, B, C, or D. All right. I'll go quick. So the answer to this, my friends, is where you are communicating with the stakeholders and working with them. And therefore, the best answer is manage stakeholder engagement. You won't get questions like that on the exam because those are very prescriptive to process name. But still, you could get the process names expanded upon and camouflaged. So you do need to know what you're doing in each process. Here's another one. On your Agile project, when facilitating a meeting with stakeholders, it is critical to do what? Is it hold the meeting in person? Is it develop and distribute an agenda prior to the meeting? Is it bring snacks? <laughs> or is it use technology to record the meeting so you can reference as needed? What do you think? Which one is more agile than the others? Which one makes sense? Okay, so which one is critical? Which In which one would the meeting sync if you didn't do it? Think about it. It's like a trick question. But you're not required to hold meetings in person in the world of Agile. You don't have to bring snacks and you don't have to record. But it would make sense. For example, if you're holding a retrospective, it would make sense for you to have an agenda and for you to share that. Okay, so this is an example of how, oh, looks a little bit difficult. Um, am I in the world of predictive? Or mine, it sounds a little bit predictive in the answers, but it says agile. So you've got to be ready to face things like that. All right, let's move into the next domain, which is process. Okay, as usual, we have our roadmap. And these are the things we've just talked about. So I'll be very quick. Number one is actually task 13. So this is where you determine the appropriate methodology, the methods, the practices. Are we going to be agile, predictive, or something else? Then you've got to establish a project governance structure for rules and regulations and how things work. And then number nine is pretty much integration. You've got to integrate project planning activities. Number 17 is plan and manage project or phase closure, pretty much close project or phase, which we've already looked at today. Number eight, plan and manage scope. Number six, plan and manage schedule. Number five, plan and manage budget and resources. So at a high level, number eight is really scope management that we looked at. Number six is schedule management. And number five is budget and resources. I'm sorry, it's a little bit obscured because of the color on the screen. Number seven, plan and manage quality of products or deliverables. That's quality as a knowledge area. And all of these also double in the world of agile. Don't forget. Number three, assess and manage risks. We've taken a look at that. Number 12, procurement management pretty much. Number one, execute the project. Now we can execute the project. After you've done all that planning, now you execute with urgency to deliver business value. Number 16, ensure knowledge transfer for project continuity. Make sure that you're transferring the knowledge because if that person leaves, what's going to happen? That needs to be your, 
your question. All right, manage project issues, have an issue log, make sure you chase those impediments as vehemently as possible before they eat you alive. So we talk about impediments, obstacles, and blockers. So the question is, what is the difference between an impediment, an obstacle, or a blocker? And the answer is an impediment slows you down. An obstacle is in the way. Now you can go around it, you can go over it, but when it comes to a blocker, you're stuck in your tracks. You're stopped. That's really bad. They're all bad, but blockers are the worst because they just stop you in your tracks. You can't move. When we talk about managing project issues in the world of predictive, all of those things are in your issue log. You've got to go after them. Manage project changes just means manage changes using your change management plan. Your configuration management plan must also be considered. This is manage project artifacts. Three artifacts in Agile. Who remembers? I'm getting some crickets. Three artifacts we talked about. Does anyone remember? Hello? Everyone's quiet. Okay, I don't bite. All right, so the artifacts I was looking for from the world of Agile is your product backlog, your sprint backlog, and your increment, or PSI. In the world of predictive, I was expecting the baselines and the plans pretty much. They're possible artifacts. We could also see our burn charts are artifacts from the world of Agile and things such as that. There are other things we could include. All right, manage communications is the next one. Pretty much manage communications, the communication knowledge area, and then engage stakeholders, pretty much the uh, stakeholder management knowledge area that we've taken a look at, okay? Don't forget, there's some, some really important stuff in the Agile Practice Guide as far as the incremental agile, predictive, iterative mantra, knowing when one is better than the other. So if there's a low degree of change, but there's a high frequency of delivery, it's incremental, stuff like that, this image is going to help you master. Again, know your scrum, know your scrum, know your scrum inside out, read the scrum guide, make sure you go to scrumguides.org. As I recommended earlier, read it, go through it, go to Ken Schwaber's website, scrum.org, and make sure you take some of his Scrum basic assessments. They will really help you get very firm in Scrum. And don't forget the PMI's Agile Practice Guide, page 18, table 3-1. This is a table that you do, in my mind, absolutely need to know before you exam. And when it comes to the world of risk, just understand that risk can be positive or negative. Like in this image, we have, okay, the mouse gets uh, the cheese. Well, that's a positive risk. Or the trap gets the mouse. Okay, it's a negative risk. But from whose perspective? From the perspective of the mouse. But what if we're talking about the homeowner? From the homeowner's perspective, what if the mouse gets the cheese? That's negative. So you always have to put on your perspective hat. Speaking of hat, the mouse is wearing a hat. So what strategy has the mouse adopted from this? Ah, well, the answer would be mitigate. The mouse is trying to mitigate. Okay. Let's move on to the final domain. The final domain in this narrative, my friends, is a business domain. And in the business domain, we have four tasks. Number one, plan and manage project compliance. Make sure that you are complying. Do not not comply because not complying could be bad. We're going to hear from a buddy, Roy, very quickly here. He's going to share an agile perspective of compliance. 
Let's hear what Roy has to say. So Roy, is this a good word in agile space? <laughs> well, maybe it's a necessary word. You know, we certainly don't like it, but uh, it is it is functionally correct. It is it is technically the correct word to use. But uh, we 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 do want to make sure that we're again that we're making that we're um, aware of what compliance regulation and regulations are in place, so that we don't get ourselves in trouble. Uh, but I, but I also want to stress that there there are actually times when we might intentionally decide not to be in compliance. I've done a lot of work in the finance space, insurance space, and sometimes they're actually having those conversations of, okay, there's a new regulation that just came down the pike. Is it cheaper for us, for at least for right now, to go do that and go go make sure that we are compliant, or should we just pay the fees for a period of time and do that work later? So those discussions are they're they're valid discussions, especially when no one's being hurt. It's not about that. It's more about this regulation. It's we just can't get to it right now. It's going to cost us more to do it now versus later. So there's some sometimes those discussions happen, but those things are planned. They're they're understood. There are lots of discussions. Same basic needs, you know, in an agile project as you would in a traditional project. It doesn't really change that much. But again, the difference is how we do it. We make sure that the teams are very aware of the compliance and regulatory needs and that they understand them very clearly so that we don't necessarily have to do reviews to, to identify compliance. We are encouraging the team to be compliant always. That's a big difference. All right. Good words from our buddy Roy. And like I said, if you want more of Roy and I's train coaching, go on down to hpmexam.com. We have tens and tens of hours of both of us going back and forth talking about this stuff over and over again um you could go on to tinyurl.com forward slash elite pmp you'll be able to join the udemy course where we have pembox 7 we just go to town on pembox 7 and you can watch all of those videos there all right moving on let's go back and we're talking about business domain next thing is evaluate and deliver project benefits and value so in the world of the PMI, they've become hypersensitive to the concept of benefits and value and outcome. It's no longer just about deliverable. Moving on to task three, evaluate and address the external business environment changes for impact and scope. This is what a good product owner should be doing. A good product owner should always be scanning the boundaries and saying, hmm, what has changed in the environment? How does that affect our project? That needs to be the question, all right? As usual, I want to hear from my buddy Roy about environmental impacts. He always has such great wisdom to share. So let's listen to what my buddy Roy has to share. I hope the sound is coming across properly. It's a little bit different from Zoom's, this uh, mechanism I'm using. So um, do let me know if you're able to hear the sound of Roy's voice. Let's listen. I'm glad they're talking about the backlog. That's that's <laughs> that's a very positive change. Um, so. Um, Obviously, you know, observing and monitoring and all that sort of thing is really not that much different than you would do. That's a business thing. Your product management community, if you have one, they would be doing these sorts of things. And this that part doesn't change. The part that does change, though, is that we're able to make those those changes a lot faster. So if something is happening in the market, we don't have to wait six months or a year to implement it because of current projects. We change it now or as 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 early as as is practical anyway. And the main reason that we can do that is because it's less impact to our schedule, less impact to our projects. We can make those changes a lot faster with significantly less impact to our project. All right. Back to you, Phil. All right. Also stuff from our buddy Roy said, now you understand the concept of the environmental changes and their impact on scope. We've got one more and we're going to be done for the night. We're going to be done. So here's your last chance. 
type in any questions you have. I'm sorry if you are typing in questions and I'm not seeing them. Um, this is a different platform. So even though it's live, um, I am unable to see if you have chatted in anything. It's not coming through. Um, you might want to go to LinkedIn and try because um, a few moments ago, Lawan was uh, chatting in and it did work for her on LinkedIn. So um, if you're typing in and it's not working, I am sorry. All right. Let's go on to the final one, and it's support organizational change. And you as a project manager, this is your job. Your job is to support organizational change. If the organization is going through change, you've got to be a champion for it. You've got to make sense-making sessions. You've got to help the organization, right, in their sense-making sessions. You need to spearhead and lead the charge. As it says here in what we have in 3.4, it says, Assess the organizational culture. That's number one. Number two, evaluate the impact of the organizational change to your project. And finally, evaluate the impact of the project to the organization. And then you've got to determine required actions either way. That's the general idea. We're going to hear from our buddy Roy, and then we're going to wrap this up. So our buddy Roy is going to talk about organizational change from the world of Agile. Let's hear from Roy. So Roy, how do we think about supporting organizational change from this perspective? Yeah, th this is huge in the Agile space. And, and the main reason is it, to enable Agile to work properly, you need to change the organizational culture. It has to happen, um, you know, to support things like, you know, experimentation and the ability to fail and, and you know, uh, removing impediments as quickly as possible. All of these things may be contrary to the way that your organization is set up and contrary to the culture. So as product project managers, as scrum masters, you need to be evangelists and champions of the process and encourage that change by educating your leaders, educating your business partners, your stakeholders, making sure they really understand what this is all about. Um, organizational change, uh, let's sort of say this, the, the biggest barrier to agile adoption is organizational culture. So if you're looking for one thing that's going to be your biggest problem, it's the, it's the organization itself, the culture of the organization. So you need to pay particular attention to that because you're going to see behaviors that are more traditional in an agile environment, um, you know, the, and, but in an agile environment, those traditional behaviors don't work, mm -hmm. right? If we're expecting to see things the same way, do things the same way, and just do agile, you will fail. It will not go well for you. Uh, you may get some benefits, but eventually you're going you're to start seeing where the organization is going to get in the way, and you will start very quickly falling back into traditional approaches because this agile thing doesn't work here, right? And it's not that agile can't work there, it's that your organization is just not changing to allow it to happen. All right, Phil, back to you. Awesome stuff, as always, from my buddy, Roy, my Agile coach. Thank you, Roy. And with that, my friends, we are done. <laughs> or are we? There's one little piece left that I like to throw in at the end just to help you see how far we have come. Because when I tell you we've climbed a thousand mountains, you better believe it. We've climbed so many mountains that you won't even believe. When you see the roadmap of everything we've done tonight, you won't believe how much we've done. We've done a boatload of stuff. We've done so much stuff. It's that it could actually be a little bit mind-boggling to you. So what I like to do at this point, I like to show like a roadmap of all the intricacies of the PMP exam. So let me just go over them one by one. First of all, we've talked about the world of predictive. We've talked about the world of agile. 
We've talked about the people, process, and business domains. We've talked about Scrum. We've talked about Kanban. We've talked about the Agile Manifesto. Talked about the Agile, Agile Manifesto values and principles. And then I've shown you PMBOK 7. I've shown you PMBOK 6. I've shown you the 12 principles and the eight domains. Wow. <laughs> My goodness. Okay. Let's put it all into perspective. I'm going to show you one more image to bring it home. This is going to be the coup de gras. It's going to help you see everything in one place. Okay. But are you ready? I hope you are. This is going to go pretty deep. Let's take a look. I call this the PMP mind map. PMP mind map. And this mind map encapsulates the entire journey. I think at the end of it, you'll probably appreciate all the work you have been doing, actually. All the work you've been doing to succeed on your PMP, you're going to see it come to light here. All right. Here we go. PMP mind map. You might have seen a video where I talked about this in the past. But it's always new because of the enormity of what we have done tonight. You ready? Okay. You take myself off the screen so that you can see it. All right. So we've talked about everything here in the world of Agile. See that? Let's zoom in. Agile. Talked about the manifesto. Talked about servant leadership. Talked about charters. And these are some other pages that you need to focus on. We talked about predictive, five process groups, 10 knowledge areas, four, nine processes. Talked about the principles and the domains. Talked about the PMP exam content outline. Quick note on hybrid, if you haven't already read pages 26 to 30 in the Agile Practice Guide, you definitely want to. And then we talked about Scrum. We went through the 353. And then coming to a wider view, we've talked about integration, scope, schedule, cost, quality, resources, communication, risk procurement, and stakeholder. We've talked about people, process, and business. And then we've talked about some auxiliary things. I told you about my experience on the exam. You've got to manage your time. I told you definitely take it at a test center. I wouldn't advise taking it at home. Bad things happen to some people who take it at home. Some people are, are able to escape unscathed, but trust me when it happens, when the flying monkeys come out, it's no fun. And I know a lot of people who have encountered the flying monkeys. Get enough sleep for your exam and definitely do a lot of scenario-based tests. If you haven't taken my 200-question test, which you can find, actually, I've got two 200-question tests on YouTube. Um, if you haven't taken them, I highly advise that you do. I'm going to put them in the chat. Do that. So a couple of 200 question tests. 
Let me put in the first one. There we go. 200 questions nonstop. And then let's see if I can find the other. Okay, let's put in the other. So here's the other one. And these will just give you a great idea of how to navigate questions on the exam. Um, I would also recommend if you have not watched my 35 hour of, uh, training on YouTube, it's free. Um, it's called the PMP exam in 40 days, 40 days to PMP exam success. Um, there's so many videos, there's over 30 hours of content. Last time I checked, um, there were, there were over 30 hours. So just go over there and like, subscribe, just follow the channel because I'm always coming out with value for you. Okay. I hope that helps you get some focus and clarity. And, uh, if you've got any questions in the future, feel free to put some comments or questions below. I'll just try to check out some of our other channels and make sure that I did not miss your questions if you had any questions. No. That's funny. How is that happening? I apologize. I had no idea why the ad is playing probably my give me give me one moment i gotta mute i think one of our other videos went live and then it's seven o'clock so it came on so i apologize oh dear i gave fries unsolicited advertising fries i wasn't supposed to do that for you but you got a freebie Anyway, my friends, um, as I was saying, please endeavor to check out the videos. You got any questions or comments, put them on. I'm not sure how long this will be up. May not be up for long, so make sure you rewatch it if you didn't watch everything from the beginning. But thank you very much. I wanted to go in and check, make sure I had not missed any of the chats. That's what I was doing. So let me go ahead and check. Did I miss anything? Just going to come through and make sure that I didn't miss any of the chats. Okay, I see a lot of chats from me. Is there any chat I missed? Let's see. Okay, did I miss anything? I don't think I did. Well, my friends, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. You take care, and don't forget, check out all the links, hpmexam.com, tinyurl forward slash uh, Elite PMP and tinyurl.com forward slash elite capm. All right. You take care. All the very best. And bye for now.